Well, good morning, church. Oh, that was a little screechy there. Good, mo- good morning, church. Okay, we're, we are awake here. So, um, so first off, um, if you weren't able to join us on Friday, I have to say it was a pretty epic experience for our water fun night. And um, those of you that did, maybe you're still a little sore because you missed a couple of times too many. And uh, we had a great time here. I think we, we like had all of our hot dogs served. Great time. We had neighbors. Stop by, lots of great things going on as we were able to share the love of in the community. And, um, and that's what this is about, right? That we're, we're connecting others to Christ as we learn the way of Jesus and we invite others to his table. So um, today um, we're in this series that we're calling Underdog. Last week we began this, that we're going through the book of Philippians. And um, this, we've kind of taken this, this overarching theme looking at Philippians with this idea of underdog. And I don't know about you, but, but most of us cheer on the underdog because we know what it's like to be one, that we connect with underdogs, people that aren't ex- expected to make the cut or, or that are overlooked or that are, that are wrestling. Um, and, and actually, there was a whole church that felt this way in the year 61 AD, and, and their founder was named uh, the Apostle Paul. We call him the Apostle Paul. And Paul, when he's writing this letter to this church, he is actually under house arrest. He's under house arrest in Rome. He's guarded by Roman soldiers 24-7. And the Philippians at this time are experiencing persecution in their city of Philippi. They're being persecuted for following Christ. Everybody at this time is worshiping the emperor Nero, and that's what they're supposed to be doing. They're told time and time again. And so they're beginning to lose faith. They're losing faith because it feels like nothing is changing. And I don't know if you've ever been in a circumstance like that, but but that's where they were. So Paul writes this letter to let them know that regardless, regardless of what it may look like, he is confident that God who began a good work would complete it. And so, so despite bad leaders and prisons and persecution, all those things cannot deter God's work. And, and he tells them in the first part, which we talked about last week, though, that they need to stay in their lane, though. They need to stay focused on what God has called them to do, the good work that God has begun in their lives. Not look around at everybody else and what everybody else is doing, you know, that nasty thing called comparison we get ourselves caught up in, but that they need to stay in lane and God will complete the good work that he began. And the good news for this is that what was true century Philippian church is also true for us here in the 21st century, that you may feel like an underdog, but God is a God of the underdogs. That's an amazing thing. God positions you for the win when you run your race in confidence in him. When we run our race in confidence in him, that's how he positions us. And so this week, we're going to uh, be moving on to Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 26. We're going to be unpacking this kind of next section, and we're going to have that up on the screen. It's also in your your, uh, worship guide if you want to take that out. Those of you guys online, you can also visit our website. It's also there. You can follow along with the notes today. And Paul is going to take this a step further. 
And as I was preparing for this message this week, um, of course, I don't know if you've been watching the Olympics, that's kind of what this theme is tied into, been watching all the different sports, some sports like skateboarding, I think is like brand new this year for women. Um, there's the table tennis, there's all sorts of team sports, some non-team sports. And, and as you're watching though, usually like between matches or whether it's like innings or periods in the game, they're usually like the sports commentators show like these little stories, right? These stories, the, the backstories of some of these underdogs. And I'm always intrigued about what happened to them before the competition. Their life stories, the things and challenges that they had to face. Well, I'm going to share with you a couple of these this morning. Um, actually, looking back historically in the Olympics, um, one who you may know too that I will be surprised if anybody knows. We'll have to give like bonus points or something if you get these. So does anybody know who this is? Jesse Owens. Jesse Owens. And Jesse Owens, uh, he was a four-time gold medalist in the 1936 Olympic Games. 36 Olympic Games. And this was especially important because the, these Olympic Games were held in Germany. Yes, they were held in Germany during the Nazi regime. And Hitler is there, who they thought that, you know, they're saying that, okay, the Aryan race, there's these superior people, and, and here's this, this black man who's running and beating everybody, and Hitler, like, refused to acknowledge him. Well, in order for Jesse to get there, there's a really great movie that was out a couple years ago that told his story, but he encountered challenge, and you can imagine, challenge after challenge after challenge, especially in 1936. Um, then moving on in, into 1944, a little backstory. Does anybody know who this is? I will be shocked if you do. I will, I'll have to like, take you out to lunch or something if you know this. Do you know who this is? 1944? Okay, her name is Lis Hartel. She was a Danish horseback rider. And believe it or not, she contracted polio while she was pregnant. And she was paralyzed from the waist down. And yet... Yet she went on to win the silver medal in the 1952 games in equestrian. And at this time, there was no equestrian for women. It was only for men. So she beat all the guys. We don't hear a lot about her. Think about that. All the struggles that she encountered, you know, this, this, this disease, and she didn't let that stop her. Um, how about the next one? This, this guy, might, he might be surprised. He's actually, so this was the 1964 Tokyo Olympics. I think it was the last time that it was held in Tokyo. And this is a guy named Billy Mills. Billy Mills. And he remains the only American ever to win the gold 10,000-meter run. He remains that from 1964. And, and he, he has a very, very interesting story. He grew up on a Native American reservation. He was orphaned at age 12, and he took up running. And he went into the Marine Corps, the U.S. Marine Corps. And it was actually, he qualified for the Olympics when he was, when he was still serving. And he, he remains the only American to win the gold in the 10,000. Just amazing stuff. When you know the backstory, it even gives a more powerful meaning to the story. But we have to realize also that there's always a backstory to every win, to every win, to every loss, and that always includes a struggle. There's always a struggle. The struggle gives an opportunity to define a different story that's actually worth telling. 
uh, renowned author Donald Miller, author of Blue Luck Jazz, if you've ever read that, um, he says in one of his books, he says, nobody cries at the end of a movie about a guy who wins a, wall, a Volvo. Right? Think about that. Uh, Christians, though, are, are not immune to struggles. Uh, we're not immune to struggles. Just because we place our faith in Christ doesn't mean that we don't struggle. And, and, and oftentimes we struggle with our faith. That's, that's a part of it, too, is that we, we might begin to question God, to struggle with God. But that's part of the story. And Paul knew this, right? Paul knew this because he himself had a backstory of struggle. Uh, imagine the Apostle Paul. So he comes to faith in Jesus. He meets Jesus literally knocked off his horse onto the ground and has this transformative experience. When he begins to, to preach about Jesus and share with he had grown up in a religious household, had been schooled, all the greatest leaders had poured into him. And now he's going sharing about Jesus, and he's, people didn't really like that. Well, in, in the book of Acts, it said that he was attacked by a mob. He was on trial four times. He encountered imprisonment, even a You know, he's kind of like the old school Tom Hanks. And people, people at this time were worried about him. They were worried about him. You know, what would, what would happen if something happened to him? What would happen to the church? But we look at what Paul says in verse, starting in verse 12, and this is kind of the key scripture today that will frame all of this. He says this, he says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Wow. Crazy, right? Like all of that? He's saying here, he's saying we don't have to hide from struggles. We don't have to hide from them. That a, what can seem like a setback can actually be a set up. Not only can no circumstance stop the work of God in our lives, but even the most unexpected, difficult, unfair, terrible struggles can be the very thing God will use for your good and for his glory. See, they're writing a backstory. The Philippian church is writing a backstory for what God would do. And we are too. Each of us individually in our families and also collectively here as a church. And so continuing, Paul shares three ways that struggles in our backstory can further God's story. And the first thing he shows us is that struggles first, they reveal God's grace. They reveal God's grace. So look at what Paul reveals is the first outcome of his struggles. So looking at verse 13, as a result... It has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. So let's just pause there. So everybody, everybody's hearing about Christ because of Paul's imprisonment. That's like crazy, right? Right? That's crazy stuff. This is like, like orange really is the new black. It, he's, he's sharing that he's happy to let people know of his new struggles. He's sharing this and it's having an impact. And just thinking about this, right, guys, like, a lot of us struggle with revealing our struggles. We don't like people to know that we're struggling, that we're wrestling. And, and I think just to kind of go along with that, oh, Jeff, can you hand me my phone real quick? What I'd like to do with everybody today here, I want to take a little selfie here. Can we do that, church? Is everybody cool with that? I won't post it without your permission or something. So we're going to take a little churchy selfie. I guess we're going to call churchy selfie. I like that, right? A little churchy selfie. Get everybody in the, I'm like, maybe, yeah, there we go. We'll go like in the middle. How about that? Okay. And everybody smile. 
Awesome. Okay, well, wait, that one didn't turn out right. You know, they put a filter on that and like delete that or something. You know, just have to kind of go through. That one's not, oh, that one's not perfect. Somebody in the back, they're not smiling very well. You know, you have like frowny face or something, right? Well, if you didn't know, a selfie is when you take a picture of yourself, okay? And, and actually, it, the, if you look online, it shares that about 170 million pictures each uh, week are posted as selfies. 170 million pictures we take of ourselves. And I was thinking about this. Some of us remember the time when we never turned the camera on ourselves. Remember those days? Some of y'all are too young to do that. I'm now in the old categories, right, officially. But we remember that we never turned the camera on ourselves. You actually hated getting your picture taken. Like, not only did you not take a picture of yourself, but you hated it. And those of us, remember, remember back to school? Remember, what was the worst day of the year? Picture day, Jeff, right? Ding, ding, ding. Picture day. Picture day at school. Life touch. Those of you, I think it was like, oh yeah, everybody's laughing now. So you had the little black combs, right? Those little like cheapy black combs that you're supposed to like do your hair. Especially you had recess and you had like lunch and everything and you had picture day like last period. Mom was like, no, right? And, and, and those, I think um, some of you guys were, uh, had those taken like in the 80s and they had like the double picture, right? You're like sitting there like this. And then there's like, there's like the other like big head that's there, like in the, in the side. We hated that. And, and the hard thing was you wouldn't know what you looked like for weeks or months. And, and now though, we take selfies. We go through a million pictures. I could have held my thumb down and probably taken about a thousand pictures of you all. And then we put filters on it, right? We edit ourselves, you know, what's the best frame here? Oh, there's like a zit here, you know, used to pop it, but no, I'm just going to blush that over here on the side. And, and, and truthfully, like what we do, we say, this is the struggle-free version of me that I want you to see. That's what this is about. But deep inside, we know that's not the case, that what we post and share and everybody sees, it's, it's not always the case of what's going on really and internally. That can become your own prison. And, and even if you don't do social media, even if you don't do, so, do social media, revealing our struggles can not only be uncomfortable, but it can make us feel out of control. Where we become totally self-conscious. We don't like to look weak or vulnerable. But what if hiding gets in the way of what God wants to do? What if we're actually blocking what God wants to do through us and in our struggles? What if it's something like help or healing or restoration or reconciliation? Sharing our struggles, it, it, it means something. And, and something else to examine, though, here is that looking at Paul's story, Jesus didn't save Paul from prison. He didn't give him an exit out of prison. He remained in prison. He remained under house arrest. And sometimes we think, you know, if I just place Jesus, then my struggles somehow should go away. And that, that, you know, the, this addiction that I've been wrestling with for years should just like, you know, it, it, should, it should leave. This, this uh, marriage issue that we've been encountering, all of that should be healed. But we see that, that Jesus didn't save Paul from prison, and, and sometimes it kills. That's the whole story about the spread of Christianity, everybody. That's the whole story, is that in times of struggle in the church, 
and especially really, really painful circumstances, that's when, that's when Christianity spread like wildfire. Consider in China, where it's illegal to start a church without having the government involved and them knowing where you're meeting, what you're doing. Christianity, the, the message of Jesus has spread like wildfire because people are meeting literally in people's basements. They don't even have Bibles at certain times. But yet, they're able to give God glory. See, when we share our struggles, there's, there's something there that, that happens, something really holy See, Paul's imprisonment produces notoriety for Christ even beyond the prison walls. But we also have to consider this, that when you and I face struggles, people are watching. People are watching. Some of them you'll be dropping at school every morning. Some of them live in your neighborhood. Some of them are friends and acquaintances from years ago that you're friends with or that you share with online. See, Paul recognizes this. This is, this is key. This is, this is speaking to me. Prison is the perfect place to share Christ. Whatever prison you are in or feel like you're in, that's the perfect place to share Christ. When we can be real about that struggle, God reveals his grace. See, he, he took a risk. Paul took a risk. Instead of sitting in prison, woe is me, what's going on? This is never going to end. He said, what can God do here? God, what can you do with this? And, and as a result, everybody's hearing about Jesus. The second way, a second thing that God also does with these struggles. So number two, struggles inspire others to serve. So check out verses 14 through 18. He says, And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Wow, right? It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? Right? Isn't it crazy for him to say that? What does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this... I rejoice. See, struggles inspire others to serve. Struggles motivate people to get involved. We would think that persecution would make these people more timid, but actually the opposite happens. They're more courageous and confident when they see what Paul is enduring and how he is rejoicing anyway. It's true in our, your life. When was the last time someone else's struggle helped and, or caused you to get involved? Maybe it was a, a certain issue that you saw, something that, that broke your heart, or you saw a need. Uh, you, you, your, your, your family, there was a circumstance that you faced, and, and you became engaged in that struggle because you saw that there was a need. I was thinking about this when it comes to inventions, inventors. You know, usually we think of these of inventors, of all the great inventors of the ages, as these kind of lonely underdog inventors, right? That's the story that we broadcast a lot. Uh, so we're going to put a picture up that has a whole bunch of these. Um, so I'm going to ask for your help here. So who invented the light bulb? Edison, Thomas Edison. Who invented the phone? Alexander Graham Bell. Who invented the cotton gin? Eli Whitney, except they didn't. They didn't. 
Did you know that each of them was inspired by someone else's failings and struggle before they came? They built on somebody else, somebody else that had had an idea and that was trying to make progress and was, was encountering all these struggles. They actually just built off of somebody else and they found the, the, the secret code here. And I think that's like us. That, that Paul says, yeah, sharing Christ might not be for all the right reasons, and some people, though, are motivated by a sense of goodwill and love, but, but it's a sense of motivation to say, hey, someone else's struggle can be the springboard for me to be engaged. I, I have some friends that have a passion uh, for, for feeding children, for helping children have meals who uh, aren't able to, to have meals on the weekends. And so they, they had some neighbors that their heart just broke for because they saw some of these kids like, you know, walking around and trying to ask people for help. And so they put together this little project. And I know here at the church, we have a pantry, you know, seeing a need and saying, okay, I see a struggle. I'm going to become engaged here. You know, others in, in, in our lives, like we see how, how struggles can actually draw us in to something that breaks your heart. That's a means of God speaking to us sometimes. See, Paul is sharing this because he recognizes the power of sharing our struggle, that they inspire others to serve. And, and of course, he shares as part of this passage, we say that there are some that are sharing out of envy and rivalry, others out of goodwill. And at the end of it, he says, what does it matter, right? It has the same effect. We get caught up in those things sometimes. You know, imagine that. Religious people in it for themselves. Imagine. That never happens, right? I'm being facetious here. But the motivation for preaching Jesus is what matters. He, Paul says it's good to be inspired. It's good to catch vision for God's purpose because God is using this for our good and for his glory. But he also shares how struggles remind us, most importantly, that God delivers. God delivers. So verses 18 through 24, he says, Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. Rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Amazing. Imagine this, right? This is, this is mind-boggling. He says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient cover, uh, courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me... To live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. He says, struggles remind us that God delivers. I don't know about you, but when you've been through a struggle whether it's in your family or personally or in your job, doesn't always put things into perspective. What really matters, right? It's, it's the sleepless nights that you've had over the little insignificant argument or how did this, what did this, does this person think of me? Or, oh, am, am I wearing the right shirt? Or, uh, oh, did I make a mistake here? Those like little things that really, really don't matter in life. It puts things into perspective, and it's a reminder that God will deliver. Paul says that no matter what happens, either way, God will bring about his glory. That, that when we place our faith in Christ, 
we don't even have to fear death. That, that, that's amazing. That we can have peace and calm. And if, and if you don't know that, if you're here today or here online, um, I'd love to meet you for coffee to talk more about that. If you don't have that peace, it's possible. Paul proclaims it right here. Let's talk about it because it's real. And, and so he shares that these difficult backstories that we have, that we're often writing, they're the, they're the opportunities to turn our hearts towards the ultimate source of our life. See, when, it's, when things are going well, it's easy to look at things like, like our, our money and power and going to the gym as means of controlling and proclaiming ourselves as sources of deliverance. We look to those things. That's what the world often shares is, means of security. But when we struggle, we recognize, recognize that ultimately it is God who will deliver us, who offers us salvation. I have a, had a good friend, um, and many of you guys are familiar with him. Um, his name is Tom Gray. He was a part of the um, Nazarene district denomination that we're associated with. And um, he's a missionary in Turkey for a number of years, and friends here have served to know knew him well. And um, I had a chance to know Tom uh, for a couple of, of years when I was in seminary and going through some, t some tough stuff. Um, he was a, a licensed counselor, and he worked with all kinds of people. And uh, I was going through some stuff, and I needed to talk. And I just have to say that if you need to talk to somebody, we have an awesome counselor right here. And I think everybody needs a counselor, honestly. If you don't think you have a counselor, you probably, have a you probably need a counselor. Um, but Tom was amazing, and we just, like, cancer at the time. He was going through treatment, watched his progress on Facebook, would call, text, that kind of thing. And, um, and he struggled. He struggled. Um, but what was amazing was, I remember him sharing a story with me about him. He met with his pastor at the church that he and Karen were attending. And, um, and they just had a conversation as he was approaching death. And as he knew that he didn't have that much longer here on this earth. And they had that conversation about his faith. And I remember him telling Kevin, he said, you know what, Kevin, either way, I win. Either way, I win. And Tom passed away, but he won. And that's an amazing thing. It's, it's an amazing thing to know that despite the struggle, our struggle does not define us. That we define, you define your struggle and that it's a backstory because God uses that struggle in your story for your good and for his glory. And that's true for all of us. That's made available to all of us. So what struggle are you facing today? Can you be real about it? Can you be real with, with God about it and admit it? And, and, and honestly, maybe, it's, maybe it's, it's something that you have tried to put off or haven't admitted to yourself. Um, maybe it's a struggle in your marriage or in your relationship that you've kind of, it's fine, it's fine, it's all good, you know. Uh, maybe it's, it's just admitting to yourself and to God that struggle, something that's threatening to overwhelm you or imprison you. And so while God does not cause the struggle, you need to know that God can use the struggle for your good and his glory. And so here's what I want you to do. Refuse to sit in prison but to share the good news in that prison. To pay attention to the nudges about how God might use that struggle you're facing because sharing it is only the first step. What could God do? 
See, not every athlete will win, but everyone is guaranteed to be transformed by passionately going for it. And that's what we face today. We share in the good news of God's grace. We gather together as a community of strugglers, knowing that God's grace is sufficient.